Blog Talk Radio. rights to liberty and property, anyone can petition a court to have a person deemed incapacitated. What if that person is you? The adult guardianship system was created to protect incompetent people and their assets. A court-appointed guardian, sometimes a total stranger, can force you into a nursing home and sell your home to pay for services. Treasured belongings can disappear as you are drugged and isolated from loved ones. Why does this happen? Unfortunately, the courts don't have the funding to supervise and audit cases. A guardian makes all decisions on your behalf, taking control of your assets with little accountability. The potential for abuse is frightening. Luckily, not all guardians exploit those under their care, but when they do, there's really nowhere to go for help. The National Association to Stop Guardian Abuse, NASGA, is working to reform adult guardianship to return it to its once noble purpose of protecting the human rights to life, liberty, and property and ending financial exploitation of assets. Are you or your loved ones protected? To learn more, visit StopGuardianAbuse.org. Good evening, everyone. We are here, and I'm telling you, it's been a whirlwind uh, thing going on. Seems like everywhere you turn, there's something happening. This is Marty Oakley, of course, of TS Radio, and the PPJ Gazette Online. With me this evening is Kaz, who's always there. Say hello, Kaz. Hello, and, um, everyone. And Reverend Ralph is with us. Say hello, Reverend. Good afternoon, everyone. All right. And then we've got Diogenes, which is our special guest tonight, and we're going to bring him on full force here in just a little bit. Um, we have some sad news to share if you don't know we were taken by surprise one of the biggest advocates out there and a big supporter of our shows and everything we did was debbie true and she passed away we don't have particulars on that so i'm not going to speculate what that might have been but we have lost a who we've lost a gem and um i hope she she is resting in peace cause did you have anything you wanted to say I we just found out about two hours ago. Um, I do know she had cancer. I do know that we were communicating with her while she was in and out of the hospital. Then she was in a rehab center. She didn't she didn't really enjoy being in that rehab center. Her son had gotten her ready to come home, and I know that when I had last known, she had gone home and she was recovering. So she had cancer and she was going through chemo, but she also had broke her ankle and then I believe somehow broke her other ankle. So she couldn't walk and that was why the whole rehab center thing was happening. So this really, really hit us by surprise. I I had no idea that that you know, that she yeah. was this bad off and our our heart is just broken. I just want to say I've probably known her for about 10 years. And when you think about friends in advocacy, we've never met each other in person, but we sure had enough, you know, little 
Facebook messages and we talked yeah. on the phone. We when yep. when COVID hit, she bought biscotti from my bakery. Then she became my test shipper because she was out in California and I'm in Wisconsin. I used to send her goodies and then she'd open up the package to see how they arrived. I just wow. absolutely love her. Our condolences to her family. I know we had little Miss Ivy who was her granddaughter who she loved posting pictures of and I know this is a a, a tremendous tragedy for the whole family and hopefully wow. we'll hear hear more about what happened but just you know she was she would message us and text us and kind of fact check like if something came up she was our fact checker we'd see it on a message or a text it is a, it's a great loss to this world yes it to, is um yeah i'm like going to try not to cry cuz i already like got choked yeah. up um and it's just you know I hope that, you know, we'll find out more. Maybe we can have a little more of a formal memorial service because we just found out. Yeah. But I'm seeing that people are already getting on the the call and raising their hands because this is a call-in show. I feel like we should just jump right in and introduce our guest. All right. Um, uh, We're going to in a minute. I got some things I want to say here. Okay. Recently, uh, I was told that doctors or lawyers can now misrepresent themselves as doctors um, and be in your room. And supposedly, I had this happen. Um, I was in the emergency room here a few days ago, and a gentleman was brought in while the doctor was talking to me. And I said, who is this? Oh, it's, it's, I, I brought him in, you know, just to, you know, get his, and I said, what are you a doctor of? Oh, well, uh, 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 just general, you know, I said, could you be a little more specific? And he hesitated, and I said, um, a doctor of the law, maybe? And his face just got purple. And I said, I have to ask you to leave. And what they're doing is they are bringing in attorneys now that are on staff at the hospital. And they are attorneys for the hospital, but they are the forerunners to guardianship, potential guardianship cases. And they bring them in as if they are a physician, a medical doctor. And they don't tell you they're actually a lawyer assessing you and what the chances are they can get guardianship. Uh, This is going on everywhere. And so you need to be careful if they bring strangers into the room and you don't know who they are, you question them. You question them because that could be your biggest adversary standing there. Um, I'm going to leave that at that for right now. I just think that's so important because I almost stepped in it myself. Uh, Let's go ahead and get Diogenes on because we got a hog report tonight. And, of course, Reverend Ralph is with us. So um, let's go. Let's take this caller real quick. We normally don't have them this early, but let's take it. All right. Okay. Come on. Area code 616. You're live and on the air. Oh, hi. Um, This is Holly Dell from Michigan. I have a question for you. I don't know how to pronounce the name. Diogenes? Diogenes. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Why are parents of adult disabled people pressured into getting guardianship based on they say 
a HIPAA law states that you cannot get medical care unless you do have guardianship. They're saying no medical care unless someone has guardianship when someone is disabled. I know this is not true, but um, but I'm just trying to see from a different perspective why you have everything from educational aides to to uh, frontline uh, doctor secretaries in the front saying you can't have care unless we have guardianship or there is guardianship over that person. Even if it, yes. So please explain this to me, why anybody is saying that someone cannot have medical care. Okay. Diogenes? (laughs) Okay. All right. Um, So before I get started, I just need to make a few disclaimers. One, I am not an attorney. Two, this is not legal advice. Three, if you work for a HIPAA-covered entity or a business associate, you need to listen to the guidance that is provided by your employer, not from me. Um, Fourth, this is my personal opinion. It does not reflect that of my employer. It does not reflect that of the United States government. It does not reflect the Department of Defense or the United (laughs) States Army. I have to give all these disclaimers. But I get it. I get it. I get it. I've been in hospitals for 35 years. I work for them, so I get it. Yep. So, getting in, getting straight in. Yeah. So, for the specific case that you're talking about, where you have a, a, a developmentally disabled adult, um, generally speaking, um, generally speaking, under under the privacy rule. Um, Adults are not entitled to the protected health information of other adults absent some sort of authorization provided by the individual concerned. Um, so in the case of a, of a, someone who is unable, so I'm going to step back. Well, we're Normally, not talking about private. We're talking about just denial of care. So that, else, you know, like someone was dropped off in the, you know how a long time ago people were dropped off on the front steps and they were saying we can't do care. And then a big law came in and says, no, you're not allowed to do that. Well, now they're just saying denial of care. So if someone came with a broken leg, they're saying they can't care for them. I'll make it a little bit more, you know. So that would be, so authorization to provide care that is not going to be a HIPAA question. That is going to be dependent entirely on state law. And it is different in every single state. So it just seems to me. over oh. 18 and is hurt. And there doesn't need to be authorization because um, they need medical care. Correct, but you still have to so, – so a person who is receiving medical care still has to consent to receiving the care um, unless they are, unless they are um, unresponsive, at which point the doctrine of implied consent applies generally. But um, for something where you have a um, not um, – when you have a patient who is in a stable condition, meaning that they are conscious – 
They are not, you know, uh, on the verge of bleeding out or in cardiac arrest or, or something of that nature. Uh, they do have to consent to um, receiving the treatment. Um, so will that be just like, yes or no? Because that can be done easily enough on a computer, especially when they say yes. That's going to be dependent. So they don't. There's no law stating that they that uh, they. Um, the, the law generally is quiet on how that consent is given, but any lawyer is going to tell you get it in writing. Okay, can I say something here? I, I've okay. been warning people for three years, four years now. When you go into the hospital, even at your doctor's office here more recently, and you sign those admission forms, and usually they have the back of the monitor facing you and you don't know what you're signing, First off, always demand a hard copy. And secondly, yes. what's happening is they are they are running your assets. They're seeing what you have on file for assets. And if you have like a power of attorney, if you have an estate plan, if you have this, that, something else. And so you always demand a hard copy. Look for the words biologics, which covers vaccines. Blood research work is in there. Uh, it'll scare you to death what's actually in that form. So don't sign it until you've read it. And if you disagree with any part of it, like biologics, cross it out, put your initials by it. Anyway, uh, well, the other Martin, thing if here. Well, you don't sign them, they refuse. They refuse to care because of the multiple then, places then you, I had but, to Then you on. charge them with failure to provide care, which is a federal offense. If you file federal offense. Failure you to have provide care. care. Yeah. And these hospitals now are using hospitalists. And these are doctors who are hired by the hospital, work at the hospital. They don't work at a clinic anywhere else. You sign in. These people take over. Your primary care physician is out the door. They don't even consult with them. The first state to do this was Virginia three years ago. Now has a law that when you go into the hospital... You forfeit all rights to make your own medical decision. It's all made by the doctors in the hospital. Now, if that doesn't scare the bejesus out of you, I don't know what would. But what I'm trying to figure out is how does this HIPAA thing work into this, Diogenes, because I've read where 40 million files a year are stolen, medical files, every year through computer hacks from setting up new systems and not... Uh, taking care of the old system, you know, and storing it like it should be or whatever they have to do. So how does this work with that? And what we see in HIPAA, it's written, it, it, it's open to interpretation intentionally. Everybody's got a different idea about it, what it is, what it does, blah, blah, blah. And no two people agree. So what's the story? Can I, can I go back to the original question then? It sounds like it's very subjective then. I mean, the HIPAA law is written out what it's for and what it's supposed to do. And it has to be with uh, uh, giving information out to non-parties. But if, if anybody's actually read the fine lines, you're signing to give all your information out. But um, it should have nothing to do with denial of care. Um, and so that's what I was getting to. I've gone to multiple places on both sides of the coin, and I remember taking Emily to different therapies. They only do computer stuff. And if you say, can I get a hard copy, they'll look at you and say, you have to go down to uh, medical, whatever you call it, 
which is a car drive away from where you're trying to get stuff done. Or I go into another office and the secretary just stares at me and says, I need your hard copy of guardianship. Um, So I, I guess it's just very subjective and it hasn't been sorted out. But denial of medical care um, is uh, based on someone who's disabled. Uh, yeah, that's what I'm, I'm kind to. Uh, but thank you for your answer with that. It's, um, um, I'm trying to get an idea why people are being denied care. When there's a law there that specifically states you cannot deny care based on disability. It's right in the front office. It says right there, care not come out to be denied based on disability, race, or color, or circumstances of Medicaid. You know the whole, the, the pictures yeah. that are all over the place. It's right there. It yeah. cannot be denied care. And it has nothing to do with someone going unconscious. The only time we use that, and I'm face-to-face with that. I'm respiratory. That's what I do, resuscitate mm-hmm. people. The only time we, if someone is denying care, they're brought in, and they deny care, and then you go unconscious, then we do do give care, but that's only based on someone that is denying themselves the care, usually because they're scared or something. And then they go unconscious, and then we start to, you know, do our thing um, because they don't want something or IV. But it's right. never been denied based on someone who's alert and just disabled. So that's my spiel. But thank you. Yep. Okay. I feel like we need... I feel like we need to go kind of back to the beginning for because I see we have quite a bit of callers here. Um, getting the definitions of HIPAA and how it all, like what it actually is supposed to be used for and diagnoses, would you want to kind of start at the beginning and just kind of give um, the, new, the new listeners the definition of that and what it is? Yes, absolutely. So HIPAA um, is the... Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act, um, 1P, 2 A's. First thing you're going to see, if anyone comes to you and says HIPAA has two P's and one A, they have no idea what they're talking about. Um, it's Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act, and it is specifically Section 2 of that law that most people are talking about when um, talking about HIPAA. HIPAA is a, much, is a very, very large law that deals with um, – Improvements to what's called COBRA coverage, um, along with uh, making sort of standardized data formats to make it so that people can switch from one health plan or provider to another very easily. And part of the reason uh, Congress did this is they were kind of sick of having to pay all these transcriptionists whenever people were coming onto Medicare, um, which ended up being a very expensive thing for the federal government. And they said, okay, we're going to try and push everything to be computerized now so it can be transferred easier. And then probably to sell it, they created these data safeguards um, that contain a lot of, are are a lot narrower than I think people realize. And also a lot um, narrower than people realize and also, there's a lot of exceptions in the on a variety of circumstances that also a lot of people I don't think are aware of. Um, the third bit that a lot of people don't aren't aware of is that there is no private right of action under HIPAA. The only people who are able to sue or prosecute for a violation of HIPAA are the state attorney generals or the attorney general of the United States. So. 
if someone, if you think that you're going to be able to sue someone for violating HIPAA, you're not. Um, you can file a complaint with the government, but it's at the government's discretion as to whether or not anything's going to be done about it. Diogenes, um, I have a, I have an example that happened in Montgomery County, Pennsylvania, and I would like to hear what you think of Judge Stanley Ott and what he said about HIPAA. So we're back, we're back at King Otthole here. So I'm in court, and they are yelling and screaming that while I'm on the stand that I violated HIPAA because as at the time I was the guardian, this was their big, this was their big hearing to remove me and make Deb Clock the guardian. And we all, we all know these about, about all this stuff. But anyway, one of the big reasons why they felt that I should have to be removed was A, I didn't ask permission to get medical records, even though I was the guardian. They said I didn't ask permission of the court. I didn't ask permission of the court-appointed attorney, and they felt that I was in a HIPAA violation because I gave medical records to other family members. Would you like to comment on if Judge Ott, in his courtroom, applied the law of HIPAA correctly by accusing me of these things? So that's actually a great question, and that segues into uh, the discussion that I was going to have on who HIPAA actually applies to. HIPAA is not a generally applicable law. It only applies to a, what's called a covered entity or the business associates of covered entities that are working with good health information. And covered entity is defined very narrowly. It only applies to health plans, meaning insurance companies, healthcare clearinghouses, a lot of the updating and transactional stuff that I was talking about earlier. And finally, those healthcare providers that transmit health information electronically in connection with certain administrative and financial track transactions. So with you as the guardian, are you a health plan? Are you an insurance provider? No. Are you a clearinghouse who facilitates transferring data from one system to another? No, unless unless I was transferring data to a family member. Well, no, we're talking about from one system to, from one health system to another health system oh, or one no. health system to an insurance payer. No. no. And then finally, are you a healthcare provider who essentially um, who engages in financial transactions over um, do you bill insurers or Medicare or payers or anything of that nature? No. Then you answer none of those questions. HIPAA does not apply to a guardian. And that makes sense because in theory, the way a guardian is supposed to work is they exercise all of the rights of the, of their ward in place of that as if they were that ward. Um, in the same way that a parent exercises rights on behalf of their minor child. So it would appear that Judge Ott should not have been, I mean, he, if he was going to be in an orphan's court and overseeing these things, he should have maybe had some education on what he was doing in the courtroom is what I'm saying. So there's either two things. A, they're ignorant and don't know what they're talking about, or B, these attorneys are yelling HIPAA, HIPAA to scare people, hoping that we are the ones that are ignorant. Would you agree, maybe, or what do you think on that? Oh, people love to scream HIPAA, HIPAA all the time as an intimidation tactic. Um, so I, I certainly uh, – either one of those is bad. If, you're, if you are the court or an officer of the court and you're saying that 
uh, laws were violated, you should actually understand the laws in question, or, or worse, that they're using it to intimidate, even despite knowing better. Um, either way, it's bad. This is bad. Uh, Reverend Ralph, uh, you're familiar with Montgomery County, uh, Pennsylvania. What do you feel about this um, misreputation of HIPAA in the courtrooms of Montgomery County? And have you had any experience in this scam that they seem to be doing? Well, uh, I have not had any um, hearings of uh, where I had violated any HIPAA uh, laws, uh, and basically that subject has never come up with the uh, loved person that uh, I am trying to help. But again, every other type of tactic is being used by the lawyers and the guardians of this loved person of mine to try to block me and currently trying to ban me for life from ever seeing this loved person again. So, again, it's it's a very, very dirty type of situation, but, again, it's being done as punishment and revenge because I exposed the so-called evaluation that psychologists use in Pennsylvania to determine somebody is incapacitated. I exposed that over a year and a half ago. It's just being totally made up. They have no credibility, those evaluations, uh, because there are no standards or requirements in Pennsylvania as to what a so-called IME, independent medical evaluation, must be, including the fact they are never recorded audio or video. So basically, the defendant, uh, the victim, has no proof to say that they did or did not say something a certain way or did not do something a certain way. So it's basically giving all the power to the court and to the psychologists, if they are corrupt, to be able to condemn that victim to a life of misery and uh, financial ruin. Wow. Now, Diogenes, when we were talking, because I met Diogenes and we were excited to have Diogenes come on the show, I have two questions. One is some people say they're HIPAA certified to talk about this if you would like to expose on that. And then also when we were talking, you had talked about the American with Disability Act and how that is stronger than HIPAA. Would you want to repeat that, what we had talked about earlier? Yeah, certainly. So um, the idea of a HIPAA certification, um, there are a lot of uh, places out there that offer training and that they offer certifications for, but there's no there's no credentialing uh, in the federal government for um, for HIPAA, the, generally, a, what HIPAA requires is that HIPAA-covered entities and business associates have um, two additional officers of the of the entity in question, in addition to the four officers that corporate law requires every corporation to have. So, generally speaking, a corporation has to have a president, vice president, secretary, and treasurer by law. HIPAA mandates that those covered entities and business associates also have a security officer who is typically someone who is a, a, a cybersecurity professional. In my life, I've been a security officer at a HIPAA, HIPAA covered entity. Um, and then additionally, a privacy officer who's generally an attorney who specializes in privacy law. Um, typically, so, the – oh, go ahead. So basically, Joe Blow off the street, like let's say, you know, some kind of glory hog – couldn't just run their mouth and say, I'm, I'm HIPAA certified, and then want you to give them money. Like, that would be a scam. 
I, I would not recommend to any of my employers or any clients of mine that uh, they go with someone who is neither not who is not. They should appoint an attorney as their privacy officer. Generally, it should be their general counsel. Um, and for their security officer, they should be definitely looking at a seasoned um, cybersecurity professional. There are a variety of cybersecurity certifications that are relevant, um, notably the Certified Information System Security Practitioner. Highly recommend that any uh, entity looking for a uh, Chief Information Security Officer require that as a bare minimum. Um, that's a, that, is an eva- uh, that is a certification that requires four to five years of uh, professional cybersecurity work and possibly a bachelor's degree, in addition to meeting a test and being vetted by other members of the cybersecurity community. Um, Definitely a good certification for someone to be a chief information security officer, a security officer for HIPAA purposes, but I don't believe that there's any HIPAA-specific certification that would be desirable. Okay, so basically the person off the street that doesn't work for a company that runs their mouth and says I'm HIPAA certified is might be full of it? They Probably. might certainly think they, that they have training and education, but I would not look for that if I were looking to hire a privacy officer or a security officer. Okay, thank you. Thank you for clarifying that. Next, would you want to um, talk about that ADA law that, that you had mentioned before? Yes. So very frequently um, you see people talking about uh, rights under HIPAA and sometimes they get a, that there is a right that is, that is covered, but it's not under HIPAA. Um, there is a, there are a couple other laws that relate to um, individual rights when it comes to medical conditions that are a lot stronger. HIPAA just deals with data privacy. Um, if you're looking for an accommodation for someone who has a medical condition that falls under the Americans with Disabilities Act. Uh, it is a very, very strong law um, that essentially all employers or persons of, uh, who provide public accommodations have to adhere to. Um, and they have to provide a reasonable accommodation whenever possible. Um, so a common example, and I believe we talked about this earlier, is um, – Let's say you are in a food service establishment, and in in food service establishments, do people generally have to uh, wear uh, gloves of some sort, sanitary gloves? Yes. You need to wear gloves when you are touching prepared foods, always. Yes. And what's the typical material used for making those gloves? Like a vinyl, or sometimes they're like sandwich bag material. Typically are latex. Um, not usually latex because of allergies that people have. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. Nowadays, but were they previously typically latex back when latex was the cheapest thing out there? Yes. You could, yes. you could have the choice to purchase either one. Yes. So let's say you are an employer and you buy a ton of latex gloves in bulk because it is way cheaper to buy them in bulk. It is. It generally is. But you bring on a new hire who informs you that they have a latex allergy. Now, let's say hypothetically these vinyl gloves that you're talking about, they cost um, way, way more per pop, and, and you don't want to just buy those uh, because they were because hypothetically speaking, they're way more expensive. The Americans with Disabilities Act requires you 
to make a reasonable accommodation for someone with a latex allergy by procuring non-latex gloves. However, however, the ADA does not prohibit you from requiring medical proof. So you could require the employee to uh, sign a waiver um, under and, and uh, go to the employee's physician with this waiver under HIPAA um, to ask for medical proof that there is a latex allergy. And if the doctor comes back and says, yes, they have a latex allergy, then you have to provide the vinyl gloves or the sandwich bag gloves or the, the other gloves that meet the food service safety requirement while not triggering the latex allergy. And speaking on the latex allergy, because I do work in food service, the customers, like, just don't ever use the latex because people actually, there's a lot of people who have this allergy, and they're going to ask if we use latex gloves, and they're not going to eat in your establishment, and so you really, it's just not worth the risk. Don't ever use your latex gloves in food service. If you see them, throw them out or take them home for your own personal use, but you just, it's just not, it's just not good. That is an excellent example. All right. May I want to be with something here? Am I still online? You sure are. Uh, most of the medical equipment was latex. Uh, the drainage that you put in the brains for hydrocephalus was latex. The foley's were latex. Chest tubes were latex. And all the gloves were latex. And then when they started noticing, um, because a lot of times latex um, allergies comes with the more you use it, the worse it becomes. So um, the, our hands were going bad. It was a big problem that we had, and all the rashes and bumps. That's why they changed from latex. Um, mm-hmm. It's because everybody was getting all these hives and bumps, and the more you use it, the worse it becomes. That's why they don't want latex blooms in the rooms anymore, because if you have a patient with a drain in their brain as latex, the more latex that are around them, the more that can become um, a cause a problem. So that's why it was all changed because they were seeing so many adverse effects from it. Um, not everybody, but almost everybody I know in healthcare has been it for a long time was developing hives and bumps and everything else right around uh, their hands where the gloves end. Um, so that that's the reason one of the reasons why they changed. And everybody was just kind of bringing their own after a while because people's that's what was happening. It was from adverse effects all across the board. That was in the hospital cells. Um, that's one of the reasons why they started getting rid of most of the latex gloves in the hospitals because everything, instruments, everything was made out of latex. Drainage tubes were latex. Wow. Only were latex. <laughs> and so uh, they wouldn't pay attention to people when they were going bad, but the workers and employees because of all the hives and everything else on their hands. Even me, I had all the time hives around my uh, glove hand until I changed gloves. And that's because after 25 years, it just develops. It just happens. So that's kind of what happens, and that's why they actually changed. Just like wow, that's fascinating. Thank you. You're welcome. Now, can can we think of any like any sort of other examples of HIPAA 
when um I mean, I guess I think of just like my own my own situation is uh, my uncle was in the hospital and the nurses were like, well, we can't tell you how he's doing because only the guardian can know. And so here we were, the family, but only the guardian could know, and she sure wasn't going to let the family know. But if she was a decent human, wasn't there like something she could have done so that families could know what was going on with HIPAA? So that's a that's another great question. Um, the privacy rule under HIPAA does not forbid this. Um, the, pri- the the privacy rule allows for discussing um, prognosis of a serious condition with family members, unless the patient themselves has expressed previously that they don't want this information shared. Now, granted, this has to be a um, this has to be a limited, a limited amount of information. I'm, I'm going to give another example. Let's say you have um, uh, you have Alice. Alice has gotten into a car accident where uh, she has broken her leg, and she's not having a good time. Um, but it's all good. It's all good. They have her hopped up on the good stuff. Um, she is feeling fine, um, but. As anyone who's ever been to the hospital before, when you're hopped up on the good stuff, your ability to make rational decisions is is gone. Um, I was in the uh, I was in the hospital uh, a few years ago. I had to get my gallbladder removed, and um, because it was about to explode. And when I was uh, getting the CAT scan Ooh. after they had already given me the good the good painkillers, uh, I apparently started asking the radiologist whether or not uh, she had seen any alien implants in my in my gut. Um, and other assorted crazy talk. <laughs> so in wow. those cases, though, they are allowed to talk about this condition. And um, my understanding is that these discussions did occur with my parents who were at the hospital with me. Oh, sorry, not my mother, just my father, because it was at the height of COVID and you could only have one guest. Um, that they were discussing these things with my father who was there. And uh, I didn't sign any waiver or express any um, any desire for this to be done. This was just done because HIPAA does allow um, these disclosures to be made in situations where by their professional judgment, it would not be absurd. Now, going back to our example of Alice who has her broken leg and she's in the, she's in the hospital getting her leg treated. Uh, let's say Alice also has um, uh, what's an embarrassing medical condition. Um, you know, well, it's, it's not embarrassing, but it's the one that I, there's a few examples of it getting out is AIDS. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We'll 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 do we'll do HIV slash AIDS. So let's say um, Alice is an HIV positive person and she's in the hospital getting treated for a broken leg. Um, the doctor, of course, can tell her family members and the other medical staff can tell family members about the broken leg and things going on with the broken leg. But it would be a HIPAA violation at that point to say, oh, by the way, also Alice has HIV. That would be a HIPAA violation. However, talking about the broken leg would not be. The idea of minimum necessary disclosures can be permitted to friends and family under limited circumstances, in in those sorts of circumstances. Now, I remember reading – oh, go ahead, Ralph. Um, I'm sorry. Uh, sorry, you mentioned uh, permission a few minutes ago. Does that permission by the patient have to be in writing? And is there any specifics as far as 
what the guardian can tell or has to tell the uh, family member? I mean, can he just say, oh, they're doing fine or, uh, uh, or everything looks good? Can it be just left to that without specifics being uh, allowed to be given out? Um, so, again, that's sort of general data about, like, prognosis, um, things of that nature. That kind of, That's one of those things where, to a family member, um, a provider can use their professional judgment to provide that disclosure, that, that limited disclosure of health information to family members, unless there has been a uh, previous expression by the patient or their representative that they don't want that information shared. It is very likely that in uh, your case, the guardian has gone in and said, do not share anything with um, Reverend Ralph. Okay. Uh, but does that permission have to be in writing uh, by the patient that uh, – they do not want a family member, or they do want a family member to be uh, given a full, uh, full availability of that information. No, that doesn't have to be in writing. Um, of course, so, if that permission is given verbally, the doctor should write it down in the EHR, and sorry, in the electronic health record, to make note of that. But no, there's no requirement that that has to be verbal, or that it has to be written. But again, as far as the information that the guardian. Uh, has to disclose to the family member, it could just be so general that it really doesn't give them any information, such as, oh, the person's doing well or everything looks good. I mean, it can be just that general, couldn't it? This is one of those cases where I'm talking, or I was talking about earlier, HIPAA does not apply to a guardian. There's no requirement that HIPAA does not ha say anything um, with regards to disclosures by a guardian. Um, that is going to be dealt with by state law. Now, there's no if the guardian says HIPAA, I can't tell you this. They're completely wrong um, because HIPAA doesn't apply to a guardian. And what about ah, interesting? Okay, and what mm -hmm. about they all a, yell this? Yeah, I've heard that too. Believe in my case. So, uh, a nursing home. Uh, if the uh, nurse says uh, uh, hip, you know, brings up the HIPAA laws or something that they can't tell me something, then they don't. Then they do not know what they're talking about. Am I correct? So, generally speaking, uh, a discussion by a nursing home would be permitted unless the patient or their representative has indicated otherwise. And it, I think what's most likely in your case is the guardian has gone ahead and told the nursing home, told the hospital, told all the providers to tell you nothing, at which point HIPAA does say then they can't disclose it. So the guardian basically did something nasty just to be a jerk that, like that. Yes, that's what it sounds like to, from, from my wonder, perspective. So would there be a paper trail, do you feel, that for the fact that they would have to abide that by that, that the guardian would have had to have put that in writing somewhere? So there's no requirement that that has to be in writing, but again, it makes sense from a um, it makes sense from the provider and the nursing home's perspective for their own legal liability that if that direction was given in was given verbally, that they wrote it down in their records somewhere. So it's somewhere. Can you find the fines then that the hospitals and our nursing homes 
are given if someone gives that information. Like as an employee, I was given multiple in-services as every employee was given. Why you don't give out information because the hospital is apparently fined $50,000 of a uh, occurrence or something like that. Um, not us, but the hospital was fined if anybody was caught giving out in, information as a general rule. I just want these yeah. services. Yes. Yeah, so right now a violation uh, can have up to $50,000 per violation um, with a minimum of – say again? Towards the hospital or nursing home or whatever place someone's at. So it's the facility that gets fined. No, it could be you. It could be you as an individual are also liable. I don't know. I just I know we it was drummed in our head. That's why we don't give out information because there's fines. I had a friend, and she was a um, I don't know what they're called, like a receptionist, but she does like the appointments. Like you call, and then she's like in the in the lobby or like you know when you go to the doctor and you go up to the desk what is that the receptionist receptionist. but they also schedule the appointments so I have a friend and she believes it was because she had come down with cancer and she was a pretty expense now she's a expensive you know employee and this woman went in and she worked at like an eye doctor place where they do glasses so nothing even you know really intense and this woman's son was out of the country and he was going to be coming in for Christmas. And she, so this woman had, you know, had her eye appointment and then she's like, Oh, let me make an appointment for my son makes the appointment for her son. And then my friend was fired because they said that she violated HIPAA because she made the appointment for her son. So in in that case, without a written authorization allowing the parent to make the ske- to do the scheduling on behalf of their adult child, that does sound like it would be a HIPAA violation. HIPAA does not care if it's hay fever or if it's HIV/AIDS. Um, all health information is protected equally. Now, isn't there something like that? There's like a form or something that if you're like. 18 or 19, you're still, I mean, some of these 18 and 19 year olds, you're still in high school and you're still, you know, living with your parents that you could authorize your parents to still have access to your medical. Yes, absolutely. Uh, there, that certainly is permissible under HIPAA. A patient is always able to waive their rights at any time. If you want, if you're, if you're traveling overseas and you want someone to handle stuff for you um, until you get back. You absolutely can authorize uh, a, a trusted person to do that on your behalf. Now, whether or not the health system will allow you to is a different question, but there's no obstacle under the law. Now, I remember when my father was – my father had cancer, and he – I had a power of attorney, and I can remember, like, I would call – I would get, like, the nurse on call – and, you know, whatever, whatever was going on at the time. And first day, if, if I was like, you know, depending on who it was, they're like, well, I can't talk to you. And then I'd have to say, I have the paperwork filled out there. And then they would look and then they would talk to me. What was that about? 
So again, um, you cannot disclose a person's health information to another to another person unless there is an authorization on file. In your case, you had an executed power of attorney that stated that if it were activated, then you would be able to make all of those decisions on behalf of your father. And they're not going to see that until they dig into um, until they dig into their EHR for a bit. It's not going to be flash up immediately. Maybe that's changed um, in the in the yeah. intervening years, but I, I've played around in HR. Well, it's been a couple of years since I've played around in an EHR. I changed jobs, but um, back then, no, you would have to click click and, and look it up first. Wow, this is fascinating. Like all the different things. Now, I want to go back to the American with Disability Act. You are saying that sometimes when people are crying HIPAA, HIPAA, or like like a shyster is trying to say, oh, this is HIPAA violation or whatever, you can, up, like, there's something like ADA outranks HIPAA all the time, and then there's, like, different state laws that outrank HIPAA, so HIPAA isn't as powerful as people want to say that it is? Correct. Uh, HIPAA, again, because it was created as a way to um, – essentially silence criticism of Congress trying to get all the health systems in the country to computerize their records. Um, HIPAA does include clauses in different places that, um, again, if there's any lawyers in the audience listening, you're probably screaming and I'm they're going to, uh, because I'm going to grossly oversimplify this, but um, essentially HIPAA contains multiple clauses that says that whenever HIPAA conflicts with another provision of either state or federal law, that law is controlling. So there ah, are. There we go. Disability. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. So for so example. The, um, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. I want to hear the example. Oh, I was going to say. So for example, um, there are a lot of uh, laws in regards to public health, for instance. So I, I'm sure we all remember from uh, last year, there was a lot of uh, discussion about the monkeypox when that was going around. Um, if you can't re- if you tested positive for monkeypox, that's getting reported to to the health department, and there is nothing you can do about it. That's the state law requires that to be disclosed. It's getting disclosed. Um, if you for some reason had Ebola or or I'm doing I'm crossing myself smallpox were to return. Oh no. You can't scream HIPAA. That's going to CDC. They're going to hear about it. Nothing you can do about it. That's a mandatory disclosure. Okay. So some pretty major um, diseases are mandatory disclosure. And then do they, then do they like have to find out who you were near and do all that tracing? Like, do you have to go along with that or? Public health authorities have, um, in in every state, and when you go across state lines or international borders, the CDC has extensive investigative authority to um, look into who you might have spread a communicable disease to. Yes. Okay. May I ask another question? Yes, please do. All right. Okay. So with all the harp about um, 11- and 12-year-olds, um, apparently parents in a lot of the systems are not allowed to have access to their health information. Um, what do you feel about that? And then and that relation to, do you know anything about the, is it called FERPA, C 
So in other words, the schools seem to have access to your health information, but it's called something different like FERPA or something like that versus the yes. parents can't get information to it, especially with these 11 and 12-year-olds. How weird. Do you know anything about that? Is it HIPAA or is it just a systemic nightmare that's going on right now? <laughs> yes, I, I do actually can speak to I, I can actually speak to this. Um, so, again, another, it's another instance where if another law – uh, applies, HIPAA says that, that law applies, not HIPAA. So for so FERPA, which um, applies to educational data and student records, um, all of those school nurses, they're covered under FERPA, not HIPAA. HIPAA only applies if you are providing healthcare coverage associated with certain computerized administrative or financial transactions. So even if a so so again, if you're not billing Medicaid. Uh, if the school district isn't billing Medicaid or a provider for services that they're providing, um, HIPAA doesn't apply. And even then, even if they were billing, if they are providing services to students or any uh, service that they provide to students, that constitutes an educational record, and therefore FERPA applies, not HIPAA. So that's one of the uh, so FERPA is one of the big HIPAA exceptions. So they can get access to all the medical information. The schools can do that? If the school is the one providing the treatment, uh, the school has access. If the school is the one providing the treatment, um, yes, uh, because HIPAA is not an obstacle to any uh, provider needing data to provide treatment. However, um, that wouldn't necessarily that wouldn't necessarily allow a teacher to go in and find out about uh um let's see if little timmy has a um hmm, what's a, what's an example of something that's not educationally relevant um let's say timmy little timmy has a family history of leukemia um so there's no reason why a teacher would, would get to see that. Um, however, if the school nurse is providing treatment to little Timmy because um, something happened at school and let's say it's a school in the middle of nowhere and the ambulance is an hour away, the school nurse absolutely can grab all the medical records that that, that nurse needs to provide treatment. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Does that have anything to do with this thing about 11, 12-year-olds? Um, uh, not uh, being able to make their own medical decisions. So, making medical decisions—that is going to be more of a state law question rather than rather than HIPAA. So that's going to be different in every single state because that deals with uh, consent to receiving medical treatment, which is governed by state law, not by federal law, except on federal property. Oh, thank you. Okay. Mm-hmm. Weird. (laughs) Diogenes, I I have another question. I remember when we were talking about doing this interview, and there was some stuff now, because HIPAA can get so confusing, as we're already seeing. There's, well, this and this and this, and now we go into the military. Did you want to expound on HIPAA and the military? Oh, yes. So... Um, so uh, in the military, in the well, I'm not sure if the other branches, but in the Army at least, we have this system called MedPros. Uh, MedPros is all about providing data to commanders to determine the medical readiness of their units, so or of the troops under their command. So a commander 
can go into MedPros and he can see whether or not you're up to date on all of your immunizations. He can see whether or not you have all your eyeglasses assigned, a whole bunch of other things to determine whether or not you are eligible for deployment overseas or into a combat environment. So that's another one where um, because Title 10 and Title 50 of the U.S. Code give commanders extensive authority over um, the troops the, the troops under command, um, that's another HIPAA exception. Uh, a commander can absolutely look at the uh, relevant medical records of a soldier under his command, his or her command, excuse me. This all, it's all very fascinating. Eddie, uh, Marty, do you have some questions? Because I know I'm the one who interviewed um, that Diogenes, and I don't know. I got to hear everything, so I'm hoping I didn't miss anything here. Marty. Marty? There we go. Oh, Marty. Oh. Oh, there. Imagine what happens when you turn <laughs> it on. <laughs> uh, but I think people are just so confused about this. And, you know, it, it, these things are written, Diogenes, so that they're virtually unintelligible to the, the, the ordinary person, which leaves it open to interpretation. People can tell you anything, and you have no choice but to believe it because you have nothing to come back with. And I think this has been misused to such a point. Uh, and people do think it's to protect the patient, but <clears throat> when any doctor or hospital can get in those records, any insurance company, potential employer can get into those files, but you can't? Well, what's wrong with this no, picture? A, a patient has the absolute right to access all of their medical records with a, a narrow exception for the notes that a, psych, that a psychologist or psychiatrist is jotting down during a session. Other than that, okay. a patient has the absolute right to access all records whatsoever. Um, and, okay. if, and if a provider does not provide that to the patient when the patient has requested it, that is a HIPAA violation. You can okay. report that to the Department of Health and Human Services, and they do take action against that. Okay. So this sounds well, like... I, I was going to say, this sounds like the guardians are hiding yes. behind HIPAA, not yes. giving out medical records. I mean, it sounds like knowing our rights right now, hearing, no, you have access to that, is going to be a lot of powerful, it's a lot of, a lot, knowledge is power. Right now, yes. people are going to know what they have their rights to do. And I, and I think about um, Reverend Ralph and, uh, you know, very much love people in nursing homes and guardians saying, you can't know their medical, yeah. you know, you can't, you can't have any of their medical information. I feel with this knowledge, someone could go back at them. I need to see in writing that you say, I can't have this information and then get right. a copy of that because I think that's going to be something that could be used. What do you think, Reverend? Right. Yeah, um, thank you. Uh, appreciate that. Uh, yeah, again, I'm still a little cloudy uh, as far as if, if that permission is denied by the guardian or, uh, or by the patient, which, which would apply? So to a person who has been deemed incapacitated by the court, that, would be, that decision would rest with the guardian, not the patient. Right, yeah. 
so so the um it, as a private individual uh a uh, if i ask the nursing home nurse uh as far as something about this loved person uh they can deny me uh just because the guardian said so correct uh-huh. okay that but when that would have to be in writing somewhere that the guardian said that you can't have this information and i would i would use that against the guardian if i knew that this was in writing somewhere see this kind of stuff i i mean i'm go, i wish i could go back in time and fix a few things because they did this to me and i would have i would have been demanding to see this piece of paper in writing and Unfortunately for the Guardian, that paper would probably make it under the shenanigans in Montgomery County Facebook page. But, um, you know, because it's just, it's just one more thing showing the evil of the Guardian saying, you know what, I'm going to make sure that their own children can't know how they're doing. And well, I would have no. to say that wasn't done to, like, my parents, so I can't imagine – if my parents were really ill and someone told me, you can't know what's the matter with them. But that's basically what the guardian is, has done. Well, you're going back to the facilities again, though, because the facility will be fined if they give out any information with a guardian or without a guardian. It used to be it was just a spokesperson was nominated with the families, and then that person would call in and you'd have a PIN number and that information would be given. But if you just call a facility and they don't know who you are, um, they're not going to give you the information because there are heavy-duty fines if it's a medical facility. Right. And then there's also the definition of what constitutes medical and what constitutes just everyday living. So it's, HIPAA has been twisted so much to um, many, many different things as far as, you know, uh, a weapon it's just kind of crazy, but even if there wasn't a guardian, I'm going to tell you, a facility can't give you information until they know who you are or you've been nominated spokesman, which is what they used to be or do uh, quite a while back because not everybody comes in with a guardian. I mean, not every family member comes in with a guardian. If they're in a big trauma accident, come in the hospital, they don't have a guardian. They just have a lot of family. So this guardian <laughs> crap is nuts. The guardian's yeah, been on its If someone, like, let's say there was an accident and, you know, obviously someone's in the emergency room and the patient is, you know, in surgery, once the hospital has confirmed, like, this is their parent, do they then, they can then tell the information to the parents, this is what's happened to your child? I'll, I'll tell you something right now, what's happened right now with my adult child, okay? The guardian cannot be found. They think it's just a made-up name. Emily was in the hospital again. They called me because they can't get a hold of anybody else. They don't even know where she lives. They called me because I'm the only one and my son are down as the people in responsible parties, and therefore I had guardianship before anyways after she turned 18. I already had it, so I'm still on record as that. Now, there's another name associated apparently to the courts as guardianship. They can't find that person. It's been uh, over a week. And guardians, according to the nurses, never show up to any hospital, even though they're supposed to be notified. 
they can't even find a person. It's a disconnected number. So that's I, what we're I bet dealing a paycheck can find the person. Now. Yeah, we're dealing with a lot of nonsense with this guardianship crap. Um, because, as I said, no one can even find the guardian that was given to her through the court. I don't. I told the social worker, I said, I have no idea. She could, it could be a dead person. It could be a made-up name. And I've had no problems because guess what? They just send me the information to my chart because they still have her here as my, as the address. So there's ways you can, and I've never had problems actually getting medical things done with her. Um, so I don't want to go on and on with my story. It's a little more complicated than what it is for this thing. But I'll just tell you, HIPAA has been twisted. Guardianship's been twisted. And it's just, wow. <laughs> I do remember the story. And this was, uh, once again, this is unfortunately coming out of Montgomery County, Pennsylvania, and the story, Austin Gibson and her mother. So her mother, Austin's mother, was in the hospital, and there was some sort of a procedure that needed to happen, but they needed the guardian's permission. And Austin's calling, it was uh, Calpana Doshi or Doshi Calpana, one of those, How I don't know which one's for, anyway, it's this woman, Doshi, we'll call her. And she was going to go on vacation, so Austin kept calling her and said, you need to call the hospital because this needs to be done. And Doshi said, I'm trying to go on vacation. I don't have time to deal with this. And it was, there was some sort of massive scene that Austin had to throw down there in the hospital to have her, to have this procedure, you know, done for her mother. And it was just, I mean, it was just this unreal thing because the guardian's like, I'll deal with it when I get back. I'm going on vacation for a week. I mean, this is this is what guardians well, in Montgomery County do. They're not bonded to these people. These people are property. So that's yeah. why they, she did that. They don't have any – they don't look between the toes to see if there's a, a blister or a store that needs to be taken care of before it gets bad or hair that needs to be right. combed before mold goes in it. Or infections, a little red spot that you know you need to keep an eye on. They're not bonded to these people. They are pieces of property, and they don't care if they suffer, live, or die. They drop them off and walk away. But as I said, the guardian that's assigned to Emily, they can't find. Uh, there's a telephone number that drops off. They're thinking that this person doesn't even exist. All I can do is take report after report after report after report. And what I told other people, certain people are taking over the case, and you have to stand up on the courthouse, and you have loads of people surrounding you, big lawsuits, money, money, money. But my end statement is HIPAA has been weaponized, and guardianship has been weaponized. And it just gets to be, it, it's, just, it's just a crazy, and this guardianship, court guardianship stuff, it's just, it's slave ownership. That's it. It's, that's, that's all it is. It's human ownership. It's nothing more. It's nothing less. That's exactly what it is. And none this of these so-called ordered guardians have any kind of bonding to a real human person that's underneath them. There's no. It's a piece of property. They. they yeah. It doesn't matter to them. That's it. There's nothing. There's, there's right. nothing. No. No lines. Nothing. 
I mean, we got one guardian in Michigan that has over 600 wards underneath her. So um, crazy. Um, think about that. Yeah. And, uh, um, yeah, think about that. It's just uh, a crazy, crazy thing. But, okay, I'm done ranting for a minute. Thank you. <laughs> this is Thanks, Reverend Holly. Ralph. Uh, this is Reverend Ralph. Uh, if it's the same doshi that uh, uh, that I know of, uh, I was in court a couple of months ago where uh, I was a friend of the family, and they were trying to get uh, the guardian of the person removed from doshi. And the judge asked her uh, how many clients she had, and she said 71. So that gives you an idea that these people just are – just not able to take care of more than two or three people, let alone 10, 20, 30, 50, or hundreds. Uh, but I have another question. I have another question uh, for Diogenes. Um, is there anything wrong? I'm a very close uh, relative of this loved person I refer to. Is there anything wrong with me asking the person themselves what their health is or what medical procedures they've had or anything like that? No, absolutely not. Um, an individual, a patient is always free to share um, their health information with anyone whatsoever. It, it, to say otherwise would be a would be an absurdity. Am I committing a HIPAA violation when I tell all of the listeners here that I have no gallbladder? I'm not. Mm-hmm. I, it is. I cannot violate. I cannot violate my own HIPAA rights. I ultimately have rights. I'm the one who gets to decide who gets to know. Who, who gets to learn that I have a gallbladder or not? I'm the one who gets to decide that, no one else. So if I want to tell someone this, there is nothing stopping me from telling someone this, nor is, there anything, um, nor is there anything stopping you from asking me. Now, I don't have to answer. If you were to ask me if I have an appendix, I don't have to tell you if I have an appendix. I, I do, but I don't have to tell you. But if this person has a guardian, am I forbidden to ask? the ward or the, as I call them, victims, if that person has a guardian, am I still allowed to ask the victim about what they got done medically or something like that? Unless there is some sort of gag order in place um, issued by a court stating, uh, uh, unless there is some sort of legal injunction stating that you can't ask this, yes, you absolutely can ask this and they are absolutely free to answer. Okay, thank you. What do you mean by legal? What 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 do you mean by legal? I, I mean something issued by a court. By a court or a guardian? Uh, it would be a court. A, a guardian cannot tell. No, no one can. No guardian can tell someone who is not their ward what they can and can't say with their own mouth. Can you say that then again, we get into please? Freedom of speech. So uh, a guardian can't um, restrict you from asking questions, right? They don't have to answer them, but they can't uh-huh. say, no, you can't ask that. That's, that's uh, yeah, the only person who can, who can issue a gag order in this country is a, is a judge. Oh, so the, now, guardian, is it, is it, the guardian is not, is, uh, is not over the court? No, the, <laughs> only the court can issue a gag order. Okay. That, again, the, the, problem can, is, yeah. the problem is that I've encountered, and everybody else who has to deal with guardians, is that there's really no one, two, three, four uh, things written down 
that they uh, can do or cannot do or so forth. And it's like it's like the Wild West where people can just – these guardians can just make up rules as they go along and then hide behind, I'm a guardian. Uh, that's the way it is. Yeah, um, it's very simple. A guardian's powers um, – a guardian exercises all of the powers that an individual would have for themselves – except in certain narrow circumstances. So just as I can't prevent you from asking me a question, um, a guardian can't prevent anyone from asking anyone a question. Um, I can't, you can ask me whatever question you want, and I can choose to answer it. But I can't tell you you can't ask me that. I might look at you, Well, that's why they bar people from visiting in the first place. They don't want anybody to ask questions. That's why they bar people. But I would suggest strongly people look at the 14th Amendment. Look at it, dissect it, look at it, and the 13th Amendment, especially the 14th Amendment, because that's supposed to override everything. So I well, think the, pro- uh, the 14th Amendment. The, the, the problem is that these judges, uh, and again, we're dealing with guardianship corruption specifically, uh, that these judges can, if they're corrupt and they're part of the gang of lawyers and guardians and psychologists all corrupt working together, uh, these judges can do whatever they want or say whatever they want, and it's up to the lawyer of a uh, concerned relative to appeal it to superior court, and that can take up to a year. So it's like you're never going to win. You're not going to win in probate court. You're not going to win in their yard. That's their yard. That's their house that's their town we know that you're not going to win it's um, that's my opinion anyways you're just not going to well, win i i agree with you so far i mean based on what i've been going through for the last year and a half uh and again every decision that's been made by this judge in orphans court uh has been appealed to superior court but again that can take a year and in the meantime yeah. things you know most of those things still stay in effect so uh again it's to me, it's the Wild West where there is nothing specific, and I agree with what somebody, I forget who, just said a few minutes ago, that the laws and the rules and all are all written in legalese. So basically, nobody can understand it, and even the lawyers have a hard time trying to figure it out. And again, it makes it basically cost prohibitive for the average person to try to uh, deal with a situation when there's guardianships involved. Uh, and it's basically whoever has the most money is going to win. And, again, it's usually the family members that end up broke, and the guardians are taking money from the victim's bank account, so they lose twice the family members. So, uh, again, it's it, problems would be easily solved if things were written in plain English, the laws and definitions and so forth, not legalese. Well, it's, uh, oh, it's open. It's open. They go go based beyond court cases that happened 50 years ago. I mean, it's just, and it's open to subjective, whatever you call it, you know. Um, it, it's, it's, uh, it can be twisted any which way. But that's why I, I'm kind of, my mantra of the month is, or the year is to uh, look into the 14th Amendment. Everybody screams about the First Amendment. Everybody screams about the Second Amendment. And they've made headway, whether you're for it or against it, they have made headway. Um, um, my mantra is going to be doing the 14th Amendment and the 13th Amendment also because that is 
big, big, big in the Constitution of the United States, and that's supposed to be the bigger law um, as far as I'm concerned. So that's where I'm going to head towards because I see very few people winning in probate court because that is their yard. They know what they're doing. It's an inside business. You're not going to win. It's a business. It's a business. People are property. It's an equity court. It's not. It's, it has nothing to do with people, people's souls, or or the care of somebody. It has nothing to do with that. It is property. That's who they are. That's what they've always done. Is property. That's all they know. Is property. Nothing else. So. Oh, I agree with that. Uh, property is basically, and they treat property, and you can tell by the way people uh, treat their cars. I mean, some people wash them every day, and other people don't wash them for one year or the next. So, yeah, exactly. exactly. These guardians exactly. just treat people as property, and when they're no longer yes, they useful, as some examples, they just, you know, sometimes just kill them just to get rid of the problem. They're using the same paperwork, if you look back, they're using the same paperwork as they did with slave ownership. 100 years ago, same paperwork. Then they were into that really big time, property, slaves. That's what they did, and that's what they're doing now. They've gotten out of dead man's court where they're supposed to be doing wills and all that kind of stuff, and they've gone into a lucrative business of big-time generational wealth, uh, disabilities, disabled people, all that money coming in. That's where it's at. They're making lots of money, and it is property. Property, property. Keep that in mind because if you go in there thinking someone's going to do the right thing, it's not going to happen. Well, Holly, you know, this is something I have talked about quite a bit is the fact that this is a form of slavery. Slavery never ended. It converted into several other things and guardianship being one of them. Um, It is like a soft touch slavery, if you put it that way. Uh, But it is the same process. It is human ownership. You're taking what belongs to somebody else, and this has always been directed mostly at women. And as I've said, until 1920s here in the States, a woman couldn't inherit property. Uh, she couldn't inherit it directly. It had to be handled by a man. And But guardianship is nothing more than another form of slavery. And you're right about it. You become merchandise, a unit. And like with black people who uh, in the Dred Scott decision – where they said you were no different than any other thing on the farm, a, a piece of equipment, a, a work animal, whatever. Exactly this is what, what Yeah, this is exactly what well, guardianship add, does. You. It dehumanizes you to become nothing. Go ahead. I'll add one more thing, too. To change, there's no law that says guardianship has to be. There's just human and yeah. uh, what do you, human health services that says, You can do this when this happens, but there's no law. And last I look, um, to change an amendment of the Constitution of the United States, you have to have another amendment to change it. So the law says that what they're doing is illegal. That's the Constitution of the United States. There's no amendment that says that that's changed. It's like the 13th Amendment. The 13th Amendment came out and said that they can go to another state and bring a slave back. It actually puts that in the Constitution yeah. of the United States. But they turned right. around and made another amendment and said, no, we're not doing that because everybody's uh, creating equal and blah, 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 blah. So please look at the 14th Amendment, anybody listening, and the 13th Amendment. 
that's where I'm going on with this. Um, I'm really because like, what they're doing is yeah. illegal. Period. I think you're on to something. I'm really, I'm like looking at the 14th right now and just this one sentence here. The due process clause prohibits state and local governments from depriving persons of life, liberty, or property without a fair procedure. So they think like something like Judge Ott's court is a fair procedure. I, I uh, beg to differ. I, I really think you're on to something, Holly. I, I find this to be very interesting. Read the so 13th and get your mind off of the black thing for a minute, even though my child's black. But get your thing off the black mind for a minute and read through it. Read through it. Right. And people have to understand that. Guess what? <laughs> they can't yeah. take rights from anybody unless you're a prisoner. <laughs> yep. Sorry. So exactly. The, the other – yeah. So for the 13th and 14th Amendments, though, you'll also notice that they contain a clause there. See, what these, what these, uh, these conspiracies want you to do is they want you to spin their wheels playing their game, looking through centuries of case law in order to argue against them. You can't beat them. You're not a lawyer. You have a life. You don't do things besides read case law all day long. So the way you beat them is the one thing that trumps case law is new positive law. Um, and if you'll notice, both the 13th and 14th Amendment contain the clause – Congress has the power to enforce this article by appropriate legislation. That is what they are terrified of. They don't want you going to the legislature and lobbying the laws to be changed because that throws all of their obscure case law out the window and may, renders it irrelevant. Good but point. But there's no case law saying that you can do guardianship. There's, I, there, there's nothing that's going to be health and human services. There's no law that we're making bills change a law that doesn't even exist. So that's what I think crazy. But what did you say uh, new positive to laws? Or what did you say? So, so positive or statute law. Those are, those are laws that are enacted by the legislature, whether it be Congress at the federal level or the state legislatures in the states. Uh, they, those take precedence over court decisions. But would a constitution in the United States take precedence over that? Clear and clear cut? Correct, but both the 13th and 14th Amendment says here, we've prohibited slavery, and using that slavery – and then this power to um, prohibit slavery, um, Congress has the ability to go in and make more laws um, saying that you can't have slavery if you just call it something different. So all of the laws that um, exist to combat <laughs> human trafficking, for instance, those derive their power in the, in 13th, in the uh, 13th Amendment's grant of power to um, prohibit slavery that has been given to Congress. So Congress can make new – so if, you, if they're going to create a new form of human trafficking, um, which is a, the current euphemism for slavery, if they're going to create a new uh, way to do human trafficking but call it guardianship, Congress has the power to go in and nip that in the bud. But they don't, do they? It's a lot of money into this. Slavery was economic. People have to understand that too. It was all about economics. It turned, mm -hmm. yeah, the, the war, of course, the war, of course, but it also turned because the machines, and they were more economical than human bodies. But it's the same thing with guardianship. It's economics. The same thing, slavery back in the days. It, it was economics. It, it had nothing to do with other stuff. It was economics money. That's why it was probate stuff, property. It was economics. It didn't have to do with uh, I mean, I'm sure it has to do with power, but it had more to do with 
economics making money in the most profitable way possible. It was economics, economics, and that's regarding what they're doing right now, economics. They're making huge amounts of money. Generation of wealth, big time. Yeah. Yeah, wow. You got to turn your soul system off and get on to the, it's just property. It's property. You got to stop it somehow. We can't, we, we can't humanize them. We cannot humanize right. them. Uh, there you go. That's just it, too. Yeah. Yeah. And we've seen cases, too, Holly, where people have been referred to as merchandise, as units. You know, yeah. I mean, I don't know how cold and down the tubes you have to get to do that, but this is the way they do it. And uh, and the thing is, like I say, there is not one person in our House of Representatives or our senators, either state or federal, who isn't aware of what's going on. And not only are they aware, they help fund it through grants and other programs. And a lot of it is backdoor stuff, but still in all, it keeps it running. And no matter how many of these cases come out publicly and are exposed publicly for the just how rancid they are, you don't hear one of them people stand up and say a damn word. Not a word. No, they don't. But then the other thing is people come back with, well, what are we going to do for all these people that need yeah. someone to take care of them? So yeah. that's, you know. And that's most of them thing. don't need someone to take care of them. Um, Not when you, you know, have they just the don't. Hey, power of attorney. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah <there you go. laughs> this is Reverend Ralph. This yeah. is Reverend Ralph. Uh, I'm, I'm sort of, again, the laws or rules or whatever are so vague. I mean, can a guardian demand that uh, a person uh, uh, sell drugs to make money? Can a guardian demand uh, that the person donate a kidney? What what can a guardian demand? Say, what do you think? She was a poodle on a leash. That's exactly what they did. Work, 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 work. She's just at the other end of the spectrum. Work, work, work. That's exactly what they do to her. <laughs> oh, wow. Well, I know in, in, like, Britney Spears' case, they forced the birth control on her, the IUD. Yeah, I feel that. I feel that's, like, an invasive procedure. Work, work, work. That's exactly what they did. Work, 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 yep. work, work. <laughs> yep. There you go. But can a guardian beat uh, uh, his ward? Can a guardian have sex with a ward just because he owns her? I mean, where is the line? Where are the rules that say yes and no to things? Who's going to tell? Who's going to tell? Yeah, who's good? That's what I was thinking. Who's going to tell? Yeah. Listen, we've only got three minutes. Those are good questions. Um, So we've got to wrap this up. Uh, Holly, thank you for calling in. You've added a lot. Reverend Ralph, yeah, is Holly, thank you. Have you on, and um, Diogenes, we need to have you back. You're like a little walking <laughs> library, and uh, we thank need you. to have you back on here talking more about this. Go ahead. Certainly. Okay. Okay, you're not saying nothing. Okay, fine, fine. No, no, I, <laughs> no, I said <laughs> certainly. <laughs> you said certainly. Okay. All right. Good. I'm getting old, Diogenes. I don't hear quite like I should unless you say something really gross, and then I'll hear that. But anyway, um, I just, uh, you know, how many shows? I'm coming up on 2,000 shows. And 
it's, it's like there's no end in sight. No matter how much we expose and rip this stuff apart and expose it for what it actually is, which is usually nothing more than an attack on the public in one form or another, in my estimation, we, have, we get no cooperation for our elected officials. None. I can't tell you over the years how many of them I've talked to, met with, supposedly worked with, and they will do nothing. Or they come out with these what I call fluff and buff bills. On the surface, it looks like it's going to do something until you've got enough experience, you know that there's things missing. Um, Like there's no penalty and there's no enforcement, which makes the bill worthless. But we we just get baited like this all the time, and people keep buying into it, and I think it's because they are absolutely desperate for this to be remedied, and it's not going to. This is human ownership. It is trafficking. I don't care how you throw it up in the air, bring it down. This is human trafficking sanctioned by your government. Think about that one before you go to bed tonight. Anyway, Kaz, as always, thank you for carrying the, the weight here again and um i'll be back to myself here in a couple of weeks i have been ill then cause has been carrying the load and taking care of everything uh-huh. and i thank you for that because if it hadn't been for you we'd have just been off air and uh mm, <laughs> so can't have that more than your fair share so <laughs> anyway thank you for that Reverend ralph too yes oh well, thank you always jumping in there yeah we always love having you on. You always add something to the show. I don't know. Um, you come in from so many different angles and ideas. Yes. And you're very articulate, and I like that. Thank and, you. And uh, a lot of our listeners like it, too. So, But anyway, yeah. everybody, um, Diogenes, you're dealing with a group of crazy people. So um, we'll have you back because you fit right in. everybody have a good evening thank you for being here thank you for listening this evening this was an important show of course it's always available in archive and we're all over the we are all over the net in several different places listen to us where you will anyway good night everyone night good night good night